Matthew chapter 27, beginning with verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus answered, you say so. While he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he didn't answer. Then Pilate said to them, don't you hear how much they are testifying against you? But he didn't answer him or on even one charge so that the governor was quite amazed. At the festival, the governor's custom was to release to the crowd a prisoner they wanted. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who is it you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was because of envy that they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judge's bench, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for today I have suffered terribly in a dream because of him. The chief priests and elders, however, persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas. And to execute Jesus. The governor asked them, which of the two of you, which of the two do you want me to hand over to you? Barabbas, they answered. Pilate asked them, what should I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all answered, crucify him. Then he said, why? What has he done wrong? But they kept shouting all the more, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that a riot was starting instead, he took some water, washed his hands in front of the crowd and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. All the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them and after having Jesus flogged, handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the governor's residence and gathered the whole company around him. They stripped him and dressed him in a scarlet robe. They twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and placed a staff in his right hand. And they knelt down before him and mocked him Hail, king of the Jews. Then they spat on him, took the staff, and kept hitting him on the head. After they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they found a Cyrenian man named Simon. They forced him to carry his cross. When they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, They gave him wine mixed with gall to drink, but when he tasted it, he refused to drink it. After crucifying him, they divided his clothes by casting lots. Then they sat down and were guarding him there. Above his head, they put up the charge against him in writing, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two criminals were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. Those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, 
You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him and said, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he takes pleasure in him. For he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, even the criminals who were crucified with him taunted him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of those standing there heard this. They said, he's calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick, and offered him a drink. But the rest said, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. But Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two. From top to bottom, the earth quaked and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And they came out of the tombs after his resurrection, entered the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they were terrified and said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. The year A.D. 30, the place, Jerusalem, the time, daybreak, the third hour. The winding streets are crowded with pilgrims even at this hour for Passover. In one of the most bizarre occurrences of history, Pilate had exchanged a murderer for a miracle man, the worst of the zealots for the best of humanity, one who had knifed in the back countrymen and Romans alike for the one heralded only a few days later as the king in charges that were trumped up in secrecy and through a mockery of a trial, Pilate traded Barabbas for Jesus. The righteous one took the place of the unrighteous. A centurion was ordered to carry out the execution of Jesus, though many of his compatriots delighted in the brutality this one hated, the act of crucifixion. He was a legionary, as centurions were, not a barbarian, and except for the worst of felons, the agony of the gruesome death seems extreme. The few times he had witnessed mass crucifixions or been detailed to a death squad, the scenes had tortured him for weeks. Once Jesus was sentenced to die, he was stripped and his hands tied above his head to a support column. Two soldiers, one stationed on either side of him, took turns flaying him with a flagrum, a short-handed, uh, equip, a short, short handle equipped with uh, leather thongs whose ends were typically tipped with lead balls or sheep's bones. But once the beating was completed, Jesus, near naked, was jerked to his feet, and the crossbar, weighing some 125 pounds, was laid on his shoulders. Now he stumbled through the 
crowded, uneven streets toward the place of his execution. The year AD 30, the place outside the city of Jerusalem, at the foot of a hill called Calvary, the place of the skull. The time, 12 noon, the sixth hour. The sun should have been high. It was midday. Instead, the atmosphere seemed strangely cold and dark. It didn't feel like rain, yet clouds were racing in, obscuring the sun. Added to this, tremors were shaking the ground. They weren't uncommon, but they were always disconcerting. Jesus had been nailed to the cross with square spikes about a third of an inch thick at the head. The crucifix was raised, then lowered into the opening of the ground. Then he began the slow, torturous death by suffocation. It wasn't the lashings that brought on death or the crown of thorns beaten into his skull. Rather, his lungs filled, causing him to drown in his own fluids. It was an agonizing, dehumanizing form of death. The centurion stood over to the side as the other Roman soldiers gambled for Jesus' robe. The ground was firm once more. The shaking from the earthquake had passed, but he still felt unsteady inside. Somehow it felt like the end of the world. The centurion wondered, why had they crucified this man, the man in the middle of the three crosses? What had he done? The sign above his head, King of the Jews, did not make any sense. The leading priests claimed that he could destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, might make him a candidate for lunacy, uh, but certainly not death. The year A.D. 30, the place outside the city of Jerusalem, still the time, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the ninth hour. The pitiful sight of the men dying had left an eerie silence over the crowd of onlookers at the foot of Golgotha. Piercing the silence, Jesus, on the central cross, shouted, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then with one last strain on his body and one final gasp of air, he shouts, and the Greek word for shouts here is megaphone, a shout of triumph. He shouts, It is finished. It sounds more like a cheer than a cry as though he is heralding triumph rather than proclaiming tragedy. The centurion stands erect now, his eyes intent on the man Jesus. It is as if this man chose to go fully conscious straight to the wall of death and there to strike it with all of his might and in the striking to die. He wonders what all of this means. How can a crucified criminal act so convincingly like the victor, his heart pounding and a single tear running down his leather-like cheek. Who was this man? The centurion wonders. Could he be the son of God? Why would the biblical writers emphasize the times around Jesus' death? There are reasons. Every day for more than a thousand years, Hebrew priests offered sacrifices for the sins of God's people at the third hour and at the ninth hour, at dawn and at three o'clock in the afternoon. And each year since the time of Moses, Israel celebrated Passover and the priests offered the daily sacrifice at three on the afternoon before Shabbat and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. 
with Christ, all of those offerings came to one great final conclusion in God's Lamb. More than 1,200 years of sacrificial offerings all pointing to this one great sacrifice of God. Why would the biblical writers emphasize the locations, in particular the location of the cross? Each fall on Yom Kippur, the great day of atonement, the high priest of the temple symbolically transferred Israel's sins onto the head of a goat. The animal was then led outside the city walls and into the wilderness to die, thereby removing the sins of the people from their community. Jewish tradition says that to prevent the goat from wandering back, as the goat would naturally do, the priest commissioned someone, not an Israelite, to wait in the wilderness to kill it. Jesus, God's scapegoat, was taken outside of the city to die. When the Son of God reached the appointed place, carrying the sins of the world on his shoulders, the non-Jewish Romans completed the awful task of execution. At the moment the Lamb was killed in the temple, Jesus died on the cross. His work was completed. The price of your salvation and of my salvation has been paid in full. The need for sacrifices has ended. Jesus became both our lamb and our scapegoat. He carried our sins outside of the city. He died for all of us, once and for all. Why would the biblical writers speak of the Roman centurion? Here I'm guessing. The writers wanted us to understand that Jesus was not put on the cross just by the scribes and the Pharisees, or the Jewish crowd, or Pilate, or even the Gentile Roman masses. The Roman centurion stands for me. And for you. I am identified with him. I am as responsible as anyone else. I nailed Jesus to the cross. It was for my sins that he died. Jesus stands in my place, he stands in your place, he stands in our place, and that is why we worship him. And that is what we remember. What was read from Luke's gospel, what was read from Matthew's gospel, the times and the places and the meaning that Jesus is our lamb and our scapegoat. This is all of what we remember as we come to the table in this moment. Let's bow our heads for a moment of silent meditation and confession before we partake of these elements together. God, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for fulfilling the law and the prophets in Christ. Thank you for saving us of our sins. Thank you for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And in this moment, we remember the stories, we remember the places, we remember the times, we remember the significance. But in particular, we just remember the one who purposefully, meaningfully, sacrificially, and graciously took our place. In this moment, above all else, of course, We remember Christ.
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.